Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.purevoice.com forward slash PDW. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer. Welcome to this Pure Voice panel discussion on dermatologic disorders. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Drs. William Damsky and Andreas Wollenberg. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, I'm William Damsky from the Yale School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut. Welcome to this activity on JAK inhibitors in atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata. Today, I'm fortunate to be joined in this discussion by my esteemed colleague, Professor Andreas Wollenberg from the Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich, Germany. In this first presentation, we will review the JAK inhibitors approved and under regulatory review for dermatologic conditions and explain uh, the latest safety updates for JAK inhibitors and in the context of this data in relationship to other clinical data for JAK inhibitors. Dr. Wollenberg, would you mind getting us started by describing the JAK-STAT signaling pathway? Well, a high number of cytokines are signaling by cytokine receptors built from two receptor chains. And these are attached to Janus kinases. Depending on the specific cytokine, you have isoform of Janus kinases, and there are actually four of them. Janus kinase 1, 2, 3, and TIC2. So these phosphorylate STAT factors and the STAT factors, once they are phosphorylated, can translocate to the nucleus to start reading of target genes. Currently, there are three approved JAK inhibitors for treatment of atopic dermatitis, baricitinib, upadacitinib, and abercitinib. Baricitinib has been on the market for rheumatoid arthritis since a couple of years. So we have ample data on the effects and adverse effects of this in a high-risk population. Upadacitinib is licensed since 2020 for rheumatoid arthritis and has recently been licensed for atopic dermatitis as well. And abercitinib just came by the end of 2021 for atopic dermatitis. None of the JAK inhibitors has been approved for alopecia errata in Europe. But oral baricitinib and ritlicitinib have reported positive results in phase 3 trials. Oral deoruxolitinib has demonstrated treatment benefit in earlier stage trials. Thanks, Dr. Wallenberg, for that overview. Concerns have been raised about the potential of adverse effects of JAK inhibitors, particularly in rheumatoid arthritis and particularly in the setting of therapy with tofacitinib. These adverse effects may be related to the broad activity of these drugs against multiple cytokines. Can you discuss for us these safety concerns? Well, um, in February 2021, the US FDA has issued a drug safety communication warning that the Ginus kinase inhibitor tofacitinib at a dose of 10 mg twice daily may be associated with an increased risk for cardiovascular events and malignancy. This alert follows the announcement of preliminary results for the oral surveillance study 
which demonstrated that rheumatoid arthritis patients treated with tofacitinib have higher rates of major adverse cardiovascular events and cancer than those given tumor necrosis factor inhibitors. In September 2021, the US FDA has called for additional warning labels on Janus kinase inhibitors, namely baricitinib and upadacitinib, after a safety review found that this class of medications was associated with an excess risk for serious heart-related events, cancer, blood clots, and death. And so just to kind of go through um, the adverse effects uh, that have been described in these medications a little bit more, certainly these are medications that act on the immune system. So infections, um, similar to other biologic medications, are a concern. Interestingly, uh, herpes zoster is a particular concern in JAK inhibitors, and uh, the risk of herpes zoster tends to be higher um, in patients treated with a JAK inhibitor uh, compared to other biologic medications. We want to go over the risk of malignancy in patients and thoroughly review the data that's available there. Certainly, patients can present with cytopenias and the increased risk of venous thromboembolism and pulmonary uh, embolism. Um, major adverse cardiac events have been described to be increased with tofacitinib in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and death in that same population um, is increased. CPK elevations have been um, detected in patients taking JAK inhibitors. So transitioning from rheumatoid arthritis, what are some of the most common safety concerns when JAK inhibitors are used to treat patients with atopic dermatitis or alopecia areata? Well, in that patient group with the baricitinib, eczema herpeticum and herpes zoster are something you could look for. With abercitinib, nausea, nasopharyngitis, headaches, and upper respiratory tract infections. And with upadacitinib, acne, again, upper respiratory tract infections or nasopharyngitis have been described. The risk of serious infections, potential malignancy, and thrombosis associated with JAK inhibitors as a class is something to think about. But abnormal laboratory monitoring in atopic dermatitis patients has actually been low. The safety of oral JAK inhibitors in alopecia areata is different because we have mostly different substances. So with ritalicitinib, nasopharyngitis, headache, and upper respiratory tract infections. With the ruxolitinib, in addition acne and nausea. And baricitinib, would have upper respiratory tract infections, acne, and nausea. So given these safety concerns in uh, patients treated with JAK inhibitors and rheumatoid arthritis, one of the major questions is whether or not these findings are generalizable to patients treated with other JAK inhibitors, particularly when used to treat atopic dermatitis in, uh, in alopecia areata. Would you mind going through for us some of the patient demographics and the safety studies for JAK inhibitors um, in rheumatoid arthritis versus atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata? So if we look at tofacitinib in rheumatoid arthritis, these patients are of a relatively high age, mean age 52 years, and they go up to 85 or 86 years these patients would have a lot of comorbidities like diabetes mellitus, coronary heart disease, 
myocardial infarction, hypertension, and COPD. And of course, they are taking many drugs and they have taken many drugs before. So uh, the probability for tuberculosis is higher because of the higher age. And many patients have had other therapies before they enrolled to trials like methotrexate um, or TNF inhibitors. Concomitant use of corticosteroids is common in that patient populations. So if we compare with baricitinib use in atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata, you will see that these patients are much, much younger. Their BMI is lower and uh, the patients uh, would also have much less comorbidities and they are usually taking much less drugs. If we look at the upadacitinib data for patients with atopic dermatitis, the patients are younger, about 33 years of age, and their medical history does not have things like diabetes uh, or heart diseases, but here we would have allergic conjunctivitis, eosinophilic esophagitis, food allergy, nasal polyps, typical diseases that would be associated to Th2-related diseases. Again, with abracitinib in atopic dermatitis, the patient age is much younger um, than we would have in rheumatoid arthritis. And those patients, they would have used less medications before, many of them only topicals, but not the TNF inhibitors or other drugs typically used for rheumatoid arthritis. If we look at ritlicitinib for alopecia areata, the patients again are much younger than what you would see in rheumatoid arthritis and they do not have as many comorbidities. So again, we are talking about a completely different patient populations and therefore the risk for many of the side effects observed with TOFA would not be expected in the drugs used for alopecia areata or for atopic dermatitis. Thank you so much, Dr. Wallenberg, for reviewing that extensive data. And certainly as JAK inhibitors are around for longer and longer, there's more and more data um, to go through. Some of the key unresolved questions with the use of JAK inhibitors include um, what the particular mechanism of certain adverse effects is. Um, one uh, I think that's of particular interest um, to the field is uh, why thromboses appear to be increased in these patients. Um, I think as we begin to apply um, these medications to uh, dermatologic disorders, as you discussed, we wonder whether or not side effects are a class effect of JAK inhibitors, or are they specific to individual JAK inhibitors with different um, JAK specificity? In what, what way is dosing related? Is how generalizable are the safety data in patients with rheumatoid arthritis treated with tofacitinib to patients with atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata? Clearly, JAK inhibitors hold great promise, uh, although we didn't talk about the efficacy data specifically today, um, as the next generation of targeted therapies in atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata. With JAK inhibitors as a class, um, there's a, an increased risk of infections, malignancy, and thromboses, and certainly those are reflected in the warnings. 
Um, the rates of adverse effects and abnormalities in laboratory monitoring parameters in patients with atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata, though, does appear to be low. Treatment emergent adverse events in patients with alopecia areata and atopic dermatitis were mainly mild to moderate in clinical trials and included, as Dr. Wallenberg covered, acne, nausea, headache, upper respiratory tract infection. And as always in medicine, we'll need additional ongoing monitoring and real-world data to better understand the long-term safety, durability of treatment effect, and uh, success of these medications and these diseases. Thank you so much for your attention today. Welcome to this activity on Janus kinase inhibitors in atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata. Joining me in this discussion is my esteemed colleague William Damsky from Yale School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut, USA. In this presentation, we will review the need for effective treatments for atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata and discuss which patients with these dermatological diseases should or should not be considered for a JAK inhibitor. Dr. Damsky, what patients with atopic dermatitis would benefit from Janus kinase inhibitors? Thanks for that question. JAK inhibitors are uh, dosed orally, so some patients may have a preference for an oral medication as opposed to an injected medication, for example. And certainly what goes along with that is some patients just have a fear of needles and really are unwilling to um, consider injected medications. The data now suggests that JAK inhibitors, when used for atopic dermatitis, has a, have a rapid onset in terms of their efficacy, and so some patients who would need to get under control rapidly uh, may be candidates for uh, JAK inhibitors as opposed to other approaches. Patients where um, other treatments did not work well for them um, would be candidates. So what patients with alopecia areata would benefit from JAK inhibitors most? Thanks. Yeah, another great question. And, you know, alopecia areata is a little bit unique in that we don't have approved therapies for alopecia areata. And so all of our treatments are off-label. Um, certainly patients with limited disease, you know, a couple areas involvement on the scalp might be better suited for localized therapies, uh, including intralesional corticosteroid injections. But certainly once the involvement becomes extensive, um, uh, moderate to severe, patients will be candidates for oral JAK inhibitors, which have shown great efficacy. I tend to think of the, the decision to initiate a systemic therapy for an inflammatory skin disease as a shared decision-making process between the um, provider and the patient. And um, certainly the patient needs to understand the adverse effects that have been described with JAK inhibitors as a class and whether or not um, it's the right medication for them particularly in alopecia areata, where this is really the only um, effective therapy for patients with moderate to severe disease. And in general, we just want to make sure that we're practicing um, within the context of international and national um, guidelines in terms of the indication, where we start treatment, and um, what we progress to if the patient should not respond to a first-line therapy. A really important uh, aspect of deciding whether or not to start a patient with a JAK inhibitors is uh, what the indication is and what dose you choose. We want to follow um, what the approved indications are. In this scenario, certainly we're considering atopic dermatitis and ultimately we hope to have approved medicines in alopecia areata as well. And in terms of dosing, the patients have um, Comorbidities um, that suggest that we may need to use a lower dose, whether it's renal or hepatic impairment, other medical comorbidities, other medications, certainly we want to take that into account. 
There's important contraindications for the use of JAK inhibitors. So one important category is patients with severe um, active or chronic infections, and so that includes tuberculosis, inopportunistic infections. Um, patients with current active or a history of um, advanced malignancy, we also want to be um, very careful, and that really excludes patients with a, a history of treated non-melanoma skin cancer. As with any medication, um, patients with severe hepatic disease or severe renal impairment, um, we also want to be careful with these medications. JAK inhibitors have not been extensively studied in the setting of pregnancy and lactation, and so that, that's a, a scenario where we tend to avoid the use of JAK inhibitors as well. And studies have demonstrated that there does appear to be some increased risk of venous thromboembolism with JAK inhibitors. And so patients with a history of VTE, particularly recurrent VTE, um, especially if they're not anticoagulated, we probably don't want to use these medicines. When thinking about um, whether or not to start um, a JAK inhibitor in a patient with atopic dermatitis or alopecia areata, certainly a thorough history and physical examination um, are, um, are indicated. I tend to check a, um, a full CBC with differential counts, um, liver tests, uh, renal function, lipid levels. In addition, at baseline, we screen patients for hepatitis B and hepatitis C. It's generally recommended that patients be screened for HIV, um, particularly in high-risk populations. Tuberculosis screening is also imperative. When we're going through the patient's medical history, um, we want to talk in particular about venous thromboembolism or a history of pulmonary embolism, and in those patients, um, we want to be careful. Once a patient started on therapy, we tend to check a CBC um, and a complete metabolic panel um, after three months of therapy. For lipids, we tend to screen after three months. If there's really no significant change, then we go back to whatever um, the patient's baseline medical history would suggest would be an appropriate um, interval for screening lipids. And once yearly, we screen for tuberculosis in patients on JAK inhibitors. Professor Wollenberg, how do we minimize the risk of adverse effects in patients with atopic dermatitis or alopecia areata treated with a JAK inhibitor? I think the most important thing is to do the pre-check of patients before they ever receive the drug. Um, and then in addition, uh, we should think that we do not preferentially take risk patients. And these risk patients probably are the same in Europe and the US. What would be your risk patients, Dr. Damsky? I think really this decision is guided around um, the recent uh, data that was published on the oral surveillance study. And again, that's looking at patients with rheumatoid arthritis treated with um, a, a tofacitinib, uh, either at 5 or 10 milligrams twice daily compared to a TNF-alpha inhibitor. And really what that study showed was that patients with advanced age had a particularly high risk of side effects, and the authors of that study made a cutoff around 65 years of age. I think patients that are 65 or older are individuals who want to have a little bit closer conversation um, about the potential risks of this medication. Certainly patients that are current or past smokers uh, are also patients that I think we need to be careful um, when using these medications. In the oral surveillance study, the patients that um, were treated with JAK inhibitors did show an increased risk of malignancy, uh, and the most common malignancy was uh, lung cancer. More broadly, any risk of or history of uh, coronary artery disease or past thromboembolism would be important considerations as well close clinical follow-up and having patients pay close attention to any new side effects is, is important. 
Um, and I, you know, I, I think I'll just um, sort of close my own personal um, thoughts in that um, despite these potential risks for adverse effects, it's really so exciting um, as dermatologists um, to have these new options um, that we can treat our patients with atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata with. So it's really an exciting time to be in dermatology. So let us summarize the second presentation. We have a new class that is very effective and that is very fast in treating atopic dermatitis. Uh, the tolerability is okay and the drug is accessible once it is licensed. Safety issues need our attention so that we will put the right patients to treatment. We always have to tell patients the alternative options so that we can have an informed consent and ideally a shared decision-making which medication to choose. Thank you very much for your attention. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.